Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today it's my privilege to have back on the show my friend and fellow Centering Prayer author, Rich Lewis. Uh, You can find out more about Rich at silenceteaches.com. Rich is the author of Sitting with God, A Journey to Your True Self Through Centering Prayer. And in today's conversation, Rich and I are going to talk about our journey to actually writing our Centering Prayer books and lessons that we learned about the publishing industry, writing itself, as well as what it takes to to market and promote a book. So if you're interested in getting into the weeds and under the hood a little bit about the process of writing, you're going to really enjoy this episode. And I also wanted to announce uh, to those of you who are listening to this up until March 12th that Rich and I are going to collaborate on a project. And at noon Eastern on March 12th, we're going to host a Centering Prayer Conversation, which will include some Q&A with, uh, between Rich and myself, uh, some conversation and teaching about Centering Prayer, and we're all going to do a sit together. This will be a virtual event. It's absolutely free. So if you're interested and would like to attend, you can email me directly at deepdivespirituality at gmail.com, and I will add you to the list and send you the Zoom link. Again, that will be March 12th at noon with Rich Lewis and myself. Let's jump into the conversation between Rich and I on the process and journey of writing books on Centering Prayer. Welcome back to the show, Rich. It's great to see you again. Great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and you know, we've had you on talking about centering prayer, and we've we've had you on twice now. We've just had a great conversation that was out last month, and uh, this time I wanted to speak with you about writing because you, you know, you to me you have a remarkable story because you know you work in financial services, and now you have the centering prayer book, and you have a website, and you're you're serving folks um, through uh, through that. So, can you talk a little bit about your journey from um, and like at, at what point in your life did you decide to write a book? What was the backdrop? Of getting of being able to 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 write sitting with God, um, yeah. The backdrop was so I had discovered centering prayer in 2013 in Amos Smith's book Healing the Divide: Recovering Christianity's Mystic Roots. He talked about a practice he'd been doing for like for about 15 years. So that immediately intrigued me because I didn't I'd always been attracted to silence. I just didn't know what to do in the silence. So I began practicing centering prayer in late 2013 reached out to Amos, and we began a back and forth email dialogue. And then really to this day, we're friends, but he actually is the one that encouraged me to write the book. So it it probably never would have happened if it it wasn't for him asking me to do it. And I'm finding that in my life, just in general, some of the things that I do are because someone asked me to do it or nudged me to do it. So he, he, I, and I, at that time, I didn't have my website, so he asked me to work with him on his website, and did I want to have a weekly meditation going off of his site as well? So mine went off on Mondays. His was, I think, Thursdays or Fridays at the time. Um, so it was more, it was Amos basically saying, I think you know, we have, we've had some neat conversations, Centering Prayer has been so healing and transforming to you, and you probably could share a perspective that's much, much different than mine, and, and I, I think you need to write a book. So he said, take a couple weeks and, and write single sentence statements of what Centering Prayer means to you. So I did that and shot him back an email, and then he said, terrific, there's your chapters, go write. 
well, I at that time I thought he was crazy. I never in anything more than a couple pages or so in in college or high school. I just never had the type of class where I had to write a very long paper. So I decided, okay, I'll pick one of the sentences and write a chapter and send it to him and just see what he thinks. And if and if his reaction is like, oh my God, this is terrible, then I'll know. Okay, I'll just move on. But to my surprise, he said, you know, this is neat, this is fresh, and, and you really need to do this. So then that's where I decided maybe I can do this. And, and, and he's written one book. He has a second book getting ready to be published at that time. So I asked my wife, what do you think of me writing a book? And she said, I, I think that's fine. She's, I guess both of us, my wife and I, were always supportive in different things that we want to do. But I didn't want to take time away from the family. So I decided to write the book on Saturday morning. So it was a discipline to get up. I, I actually would set the alarm at about 5.30 a.m. on a Saturday morning, which really was the last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to sleep after a long week, but I set the alarm and then I would put on my baseball cap, grab the laptop, go to the local Starbucks because they open at six. And I wrote and I wrote from about six to nine or six to 10 on Saturdays. So most of the book got written on Saturday mornings at the local Starbucks. And I began enjoying that process, actually. It became really a neat spiritual practice because two of the chapters involved a little bit of research of listening to podcasts and reading some books and then putting in the book what I wanted to, to, to people to hear. But the other chapters were really more of my journey and, and my thoughts. So that was the neat part. It was a neat spiritual practice every Saturday of just get it out on from my brain onto the onto the laptop screen. So that's so I can blame Amos for the book, but I'm glad he nudged me. And that was how I made the book happen. But it was a discipline. I mean, you have re I really had to discipline myself to do it. And there were times where I wrote other times, too. But most of it was on Saturday mornings. So when I think about my next book, my fear is, do I have the same discipline? Can I do this again? And I think I can. But but that to answer your question, that's that's how the book came about. Someone nudged me to write it. <laughs> I, I love that, and I, and I like the the idea. So, you know, when I think of um, like for myself, I don't know if it's just the way my brain works. Um, I like to write in small pieces. So, like I, like when I hear like six to ten, I'm just amazed that you could sit still that long and and write for four hours. And again, obviously, you probably had to break it up and you you know walk you know take a walk or whatever, but. Um, what did you have like a writing a, a word count goal each Saturday? Uh, what kind of did you ever what did you do when you got stuck? Were you really able most of the time to, you know, sit for, you know, three, four hours and produce like what, what did that look like? What did that feel like? And, you know, what maybe obstacles did you have to overcome to be able to literally go from not really writing much in your life to sitting for blocking out four hours a week and going after it? So I didn't, yeah, I didn't have a word count goal. So I just kind of, I mean, I would take a break. I mean, I might write and if I naturally felt like I needed to take a break, I would just stand up or I would get another <laughs> cup, cup of coffee right, right. Um, and I might check my emails, which probably is a big no-no because you, you really want to avoid the internet if you're trying to write. But I guess for me, it, was, it, it wasn't that difficult. I mean, it was, it was a, three or, a three to four hour block, um, probably closer to three hours with, with the, some of the breaks, but it was... And I think I ended up, if I would look back, it probably, I, I probably wrote two or three pages. So that, that probably equated to, I'm going to guess if I, it probably was 1500 to 2000 words. It had to be because yeah. every time I was done, I had, I would have two or three type pages 
but it, it did take a while though. I, I would be like, that's all I wrote. But, but again, I guess it was a lot more than I realized, but it, I guess it was just a discipline and it was kind of a neat spiritual practice. It wasn't like, oh my God, here I go again. It was just like, just trust the process. Trust that what comes out is what needs to be said. Don't judge it. This is, this isn't the editing time. The editing is, is that was another process, but this was just get it out on paper, get it out on paper. Don't worry about it. Don't judge it. Don't critique it. Just get it out. <laughs> no, I think that's so good. I know the, the mistake a lot of folks make is they, they, I mean, it was so clear what you just said. And I, and I think this is so helpful for anybody listening is like, there's a huge difference between writing and editing. I mean, the oh, yeah. editing is what is the polish. The editing is what makes a decent book, a really good book, but the time of writing is cranking out stuff. You don't even, you know, you'll catch spelling, but it's like, don't even worry about that. You can look it up later. Don't worry about citing sources necessarily. Give yourself a note that you can go back and, and do it, but just get the words out. And it sounds like, so how did you, did you instinctively just kind of know that? Cause I mean, or did you have, or did you do some research on how to write a book? Cause it just seems like you had it, you knew exactly what to do. And it was your very first book. So how, how did that all happen? Did you have some, I, mean, I think I yeah. instinctively knew, knew yeah. that. And then I think Amos kind of said that just get it out on paper. And I, and I did some reading as well. Um, but and then even what I've learned through the whole process, I think the guy's name was Tim Grail talked about marketing your book. I, I actually, I think, I, I, and I like to go live on Facebook. I talked about the four, the four hats of, of an author. If you, you're, you're a writer. And, I, and so I talked a little about what does that mean, which is a little bit what we're talking about now. You're just writing and getting the words out. And then you're an editor, which is very different than writing. And, and I kind of hated the edit. And after a while, I didn't want to see my manuscript anymore. I mean, I really enjoyed it and I liked it. But after a while, I was like, I don't want to look at this anymore. Because, and then the third step is, you know, you're kind of a business person where if you want, if you don't want to self-publish um, you have to reach out to publishers and, and try to get it uh, a publisher. So you're a business person. And then the last thing is you're a marketing person, which, which where you have to market your book and you don't want to, you want to let people know it's coming. It's not write a book, publish it, and then tell people about it. You want to tell people about it, that it's coming. Like I told people I was writing it. So they knew years in advance it was coming, which maybe put a little bit of pressure on myself to think, well, I'm keep telling them it's coming, it's coming. Now I better get this thing out. But so you were an author wears four hats or can wear four hats of, of writing, editing, business person, and then you're, you're a marketing person. <laughs> that's so good. I mean, I think that's that's so helpful because a lot of folks forget you have those other things. You have a kind of a whatever, I don't know if there's such thing as a glamorous thought of what an author does but you just named the one thing that people think the author does is the writing but it's the editing and i love even yeah even if you love your book you do sort of get sick of reading it after a while but the, and that's to me that's the lesson that i've learned over the years like you know frankly a lot of academic books are completely unreadable because they're not actually edited i mean that's the, the and it's so you know you can love your words so much that you write these monster sentences that, and they're, they're probably really interesting things in there, but the editing to me, like what helped me to make a shift to loving editing is I, I just want to love the people that might take the time to read my book enough that I actually present it in a way that <laughs> they can actually read it. And, and it's not, you know, and sometimes you're, you're cutting sentences down, you're catching stuff. And I mean, you have to get people to help you with typos because that's not always easy to find your own, but the shaping of the book itself, once you think you're done, 
is the key part of the book and you know and it's uh and that can be the hard part right do you have any horror stories like you maybe did you have to cut anything that you loved out of your book or did you like make a shift on something that was kind of hard to let go that ultimately made it better i mean you may not have had that but sometimes that seems to happen to folks um or i'm gonna say one thing and then i'll jump into that uh, you know, I, I, in in the editing mode and you kind of do a little bit of this while you're writing you want to make and you did the same. I read your book twice, and it was easy to read. You want to make your book easy to read and a pleasure to read. So my book, the chapters were short. Your chapters were short. Um, I used headings so people would knew what know what to expect that they were going to read. I think you used headings as well. Yeah, and then and then it wasn't long. It wasn't like ten pages of reading until the next heading. It was it was a page or two until the next heading, so they people could read in chunks. Because I would read in chunks, but I'm not saying everybody does. So the chapters were short. There was headlines. People it get, let people read in chunks, and then I had questions for reflection and discussion at the end of each chapter. So many people said they really enjoyed my book because it was easy to read. They knew what to expect. The questions were helpful before they moved on to the next section. So you want to make your book, even after you've dumped it down on paper, so to speak, you want to make it easy to read and easy to enjoy, not a not a, dr a drudgery to read. Like I've seen some books, and I'm not judging people, but where you have the chapter and then there's no headings and it's one long chapter, and it's like, oh my god, you know, this is this is going to stop. Like that just surprises me. It just it, I think you need to break it up. I mean, and the, and the book could be very good to read, but it's just one huge chapter. And, and instead of like, well, what am I expecting in this chapter? <laughs> no, that right. makes it, sense. It does make sense. And the way I'd like to talk about it is your book has to breathe. And just like we right. breathe in and breathe out and those and you know, punctuation are like places to take a breath. So if your sentences are too long, it's like, <laughs> you just, <laughs> just suck in air. You'll have a chance to take a pause. And then like you just said, the way you light your chapters are like maybe bigger breaths. So, so you just think of your book as a rhythm and you're letting people take in pieces of it and, and right. whether it's, and, you know, so I think it was beautiful the way that you described it. Um, one of the things that I've loved about getting to know you. And again, I, I, I was thinking about, I started my podcast um, and I think you were on about somewhere in the, in the first year, I still had it going on there. And I know, I saw your name because I was searching centering prayer stuff on podcast and you, you popped up on a podcast and I'm like, Oh, you got a book. And I thought, well, I'm going to invite rich on to my podcast. And what was funny is um, at a, a person said, said to me, like, you having somebody else promote somebody else's book on centering prayer. Don't you have a book? Aren't you just letting the, you're selling stuff for your competitors. And I was thinking like, no, this isn't a competition. The world's really big. Uh, we're in the same space. And Lord, if somebody likes uh, Rich's book, they might like my book. And if somebody likes my book, they might like Rich's book, or they like Cynthia Bourgeau's books or Thomas Keating's book. But, you know, since I invited you on, I mean, I have to say, you've been uh, incredibly kind to me. You've let, you've, you know, reviewed the book. You've, in my book, you've linked, you've put links up sometimes, um, you know, and, you know, you've been on, again, you come back on the show now. So, you know, for my, you know, so where did, where do you think, where did you, what helped you to cultivate what I would call an abundance mindset that, you know, the world's really big. We need to get these messages out and multiple people can be sort of work, working on tandem and we're not competing over against a scarcity mindset where you're just holding on to your own stuff and not really helping other people. So what, where did that, where does that come from in your life? Would you say? I mean, I would say just in general, as I thought about, as I think about the book, I mean, my book, it wasn't just me 
I needed people to help me get the book published. Amos nudged me to write the book. Amos did a lot of editing where we went back and forth with editing. Um, different other people helped me market the book. The people, the, all the different podcasts I've been on took me on, all the different places that wanted me to guest speak. So you, you don't publish a book in a silo. You, you, have, you have the editor and the publisher and then the people that have helped you market it and the people that interview you on podcasts and the people that have helped you edit it. And then even my friends and family that I just gave the book just to glance at before I was doing anything with it to say, read it or glance at it as you, what's your initial reaction? Is there something missing? So I think you can't do things, you can try to do things alone, but you're better off getting the help of others. So I think I got a lot of help from others. And I also like to turn around and, and help other people how I can, um, because I've gotten a lot of help. I feel I should be giving a lot of help to people. And then secondly, there's millions of people that we that we can help. So your book might they might read my book and not like it, and they may read your book and love it because something they read something in it and they connected more to it. So I think there's millions of people that that we can both help. I mean, the, what does the U.S. have? 300 million people in it. Obviously, some of them are children, but you know, even if we cut it down to 100 million people, our our audience in in just the U.S. is 100 million, and that's not even going internationally. So you're, you're not a competitor. We're we're we have <laughs> billion people that can read our book. So I'm I'm not feeling that you're I'm competing with you by any means at all. And and the neat thing about my book when I you know it was out in August of 2020. So in Jan, I get I get paid once a, once a year, and every publisher is different with the frequency. But when they gave me the statistics of the sales, half my sales were were out of the U.S. So it was in Japan and Australia, Canada, Germany, um, Brazil. So it was neat. But the neat thing was that fifty percent of my sales were not even in the U.S. So the market for your book is is huge. So I don't view helping you or anyone else as a threat. There's just too many people that can read the book. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I, I mean, I just love that. So I just, but I just like to lift that out because not everybody, I mean, I think the key message is the world's about, especially, I mean, it's, I think it's Christians, but this isn't even necessarily a Christian value, but it should be. It's, it's, it's collaboration and right. we're always bigger when we work with each other. And, and I think that's, you know, and I'm just, I'm just, like I've said, I've told you before, I'm just super grateful for you. Cause I think, you, you know, you have skin in the game. You actually, you know, to say the stuff you actually do. And I think that's, um, that's really cool. And that's, um, so encourage folks, you know, find, you know, kind of team. It's not like Rich and I are on a team, but, you know, we, we're going to try to do some things together. And, you know, we're even this podcast, this is a collaborative effort. It's like, I think that's the way that, you know, that's the way, that's what the church should be ultimately is uh, people pointing towards the same direction and, um, and we each have our own gifts and that's, that's so biblical too. So again, I love the way you answered. So thank you. Um, and we've talked, do you mind if I quickly come back to you in your one question of something that, uh, you know, I talked about the editing pro I talked about kind yeah, of the book yeah. process, but one thing that I learned that, that I won't repeat again is the uh, end note process. So oh, as you know, as, as you write, cause that was, it took me hours of like, if, so if I'm writing something and I do a quote, immediately do the ed note and oh, capture good. that whereas i wasn't doing that and then i had to go back and put in many end notes and then i couldn't find the sources i couldn't find the books and it took me hours and hours of you know googling it and different things and then in some cases uh, the editor said well we can't even find it we're going to use a different quote so maybe i would tell people you know as you're writing and if you're you know quoting somebody or you're just referencing someone do the end note there and then as you as you type, you can do the end note and then follow the you can kind of follow the process for what how you want to uh, 
point it to somebody as as a source. That so that that was hours of work that I that I will never repeat again. So that was the biggest mis- blunder mistake I made was the endnote process. <laughs> no, that's really good because and I'm glad you caught that because I, I actually I think I actually said don't worry about the notes, but I think it's important what you just clarified because. I mean, I've done the same thing with, um, Lord have mercy, my dissertation. I remember I spent, I don't, I think I spent two or three days going through the gazillion footnotes because I just for little things. So yeah, so I think the key thing is in the writing, you want to capture the writing and not worry about the editing. But I think it is true on the footnotes, even if you need to clean them up a little bit at the end, make sure you mark the source and the page number, even if you don't polish the thing in the exact format but you got to get the the key things in and if and if you actually can intuitively know how what it looks like i mean i think that's exactly right so that's a really good catch yeah that'll save you (laughs) a lot of frustration at the end for sure because i know for me i had a couple of quotes and some and publishers are different some publishers like you read a book and there's quotes and they don't even cite them Uh, i know my publisher if I couldn't find the exact source, I had to cut it. So I actually lost mm-hmm. some of my quotes that I wanted to use. And I had to go looking for like, literally one of the last things I did with my book is I had to go back looking for some quotes because I lost some of my quotes because I couldn't find the source. And so, you know, that, that might be a lesson for everybody to make sure if you're working with a publisher, you know, exactly what they're going to expect in game. So you don't, you know, lose pieces or, you know, spend, tons of time being frustrated um, about um, what you're working on. So yeah, that's good. Thank you, Rich. And some of them, I think if you quote extensively, like some might say, if you go over a hundred words, then we need to get permission. So I was careful to, just to be safe, I ended up looking at all my quotes and not going over a hundred for anybody. And then I guess that was one publisher that I was started working with and then it didn't pan out. But then um, they were concerned about how many words am I attributing to one person and now we need to get their permission. So I had to start cutting. Um, so that kind of stuff, end notes. And then if you do too many end notes from the same person, you might need their permission depending. So you may or may not use all your, your quotes. Yeah. So that's one of the things when you, if you get a contract with a traditional publisher, make sure you read really carefully that permission stuff. Cause that's another one of those little sneaky things that, and like as Rich was just saying, what everything he just said if if you end up having using something too much you actually have to write and get permission and that's going to slow down the production of your book so make sure you read your contract super carefully about stuff like that and if you don't understand something ask in advance so you don't end up thinking you're done and when you you find out that you're not um talk a little bit about um mark marketing and like one of the things i think it's really cool again first book um you know you're not you're not a professor, so you didn't necessarily have a obvious platform to start with, but you got a contract because you got a good book and obviously had a good mentor in Amos Smith. But what have you learned about sort of building from scratch? Maybe you didn't build from scratch, but what did you learn about building a platform to support a book? What have you learned about marketing that you give as advice to maybe first-time writers or even writers that haven't sold previously because they didn't know they needed to market? Sure. I, I knew it was important. So I actually, I, I spent a lot of time, uh, this is well even before the book, uh, I, w- I guess I knew it was going to be published, but it was many, many months down the road. I, I began listening to um, podcasts. Jeff Goins was 
yeah, yeah. was very good at I listened to many podcasts of Jeff Goins where he just talked about marketing your book and then I stumbled across uh, Tim Grail wrote a book your first I think it's called your first 1000 copies I, I read that so I began reading and listening to podcasts to learn well how do I want to mark how do you market your book um, so that taught me a lot so then so I, I guess the biggest biggest piece of advice I would give people is let them know it's coming. So if you have a book, even if it's not going to, even if you don't even have a publisher yet, and you, you know, you have a website or you have a, a social media presence, let people know what you're doing. I have a book. This is what the basics are going to be about of, of the book and let people know it's coming. And then, you know, when I got a contract, I let people know I have a contract and, and the book will, is tentatively scheduled for, for this date. And then if I had a potential title or a potential picture of the book, I would put that on social media. So I would say, let people know it's coming because you can build buzz and excitement for it so that when it's when it actually is published and, re and released people know and you, you have a lot of people ready to buy it rather than you're now saying my book's published and everybody's like oh i didn't even know you were writing one right so i would tell tell people it's coming and create buzz and excitement whether you do that through your email list or you do it on social media or i and i, and I would do a combination of lives people like some people are like to hear watch you rather than read it. So I would do a Facebook live and talk about my books coming um, or, and I would do a, a Facebook post as well or Instagram, whatever you use. So let people know it's coming is, is the def definite thing you want to do. So you got to market your book before it comes out, not right after it comes, both, but you want to, you, you want to do pre-launch and then definitely post-launch type of stuff. So I put together a big plan where I, I wanted to make sure I got on podcasts as the book came out. So I, I, when I knew when the book was coming out, I reached, I began reaching out to podcasts so that when the book was out, I was on 10 or 15, at least podcasts the first week of the book. So that was some of the things I did is let people know it was coming, Facebook lives, Facebook posts, my, my email subscribers, share my journey with, with, with people, whether it's in posts or lives, and just talk to them about my writing process, talk to them about my editing process, talk to them about how I was planning on marketing it, um, get on podcasts, guest speak, try, you know, get invited to church groups or centering prayer groups. Um, and then even, and then the publisher, and I don't know if your publisher did the same thing, like when the book came out, we, we, they offered, um, free versions of the book for people in exchange for, you know, an Amazon review. So, and that was a whole lot of fun because that created buzz where I said, you know, the first 20 people that respond um, will get a free Kindle in exchange. We'd appreciate, you know, a review down the road. And that, and that was like, that happened rapidly. And then I just went back to the publisher and said, I, 20, I got 20. Do you want another 20? Sure. And I, I, had, I did 40, like all in one day. It was, it was easy. And it, but it creates buzz and excitement. So you can do that. Depending upon your publisher, you can do that. I don't know if your publisher offered that or not. Yeah, I put together a launch team. And I've, you know, and you'll see if folks look at social media, a lot of authors, you can see they'll put things up for launch teams. And that's what Rich is really talking about. And that's, you know, it's kind of funny. It's like, it's not really a game, but it kind of is at the same time, right? Because these are all authentic reviews because people, you're not telling people what to write. Right, um, right. And you're, you're offering a book, but in a sense, in the world that we live in, and this, you, you have to actually sort of get over the fact that you have to promote yourself. Um, like, this is my mindset. And I, I like, and I tell folks this, and I think I, I, I heard this from somebody on a podcast, but like the person said, um, if you had the cure for cancer, 
you would scream it from the rooftop, right? Now, and, and, and I thought, okay, I got that's And the point is, you know, if you put your soul into a book and you have something that's really valuable, um, you want to, you're simply letting other people know about it, but uh, you have to get over the fact that, you know, that you're marketing. So like, what helped you? Is it your experience being like working in private, like in, in, in your industry that you, you had no, like, how did you get over, or maybe you never even struggled with the idea that you have to market, or was that a natural thing for you? Did you have to adopt a mindset? For me, I've always felt like, oh, people are going to think I'm just marketing stuff. So, but I've just like, I'm okay. No, I'm helping people. I'm serving people. And I need to let them know what I have good or bad. Like what, what is the mindset you bring to your marketing that if, or maybe you never had any blocks on it? Um, some of it might've been just my day job. You know, I interact with people, whether it's on the phone or, or on teams or on, on zoom. So I was comfortable doing that. Yeah, so that wasn't, yeah. that, that wasn't hard. And then a couple of years back when, when I first started my website, I just threw on a page, a coaching page Didn't know what I was doing, but figured I'll just put on that, that I coach and lo and behold, someone, you know, reached out to me, but I didn't know at the time, I didn't know what I was doing. Cause then I had to reach out to another coach to say, now what do I do? Someone wants yeah, me to funny. contact them uh, regarding coaching. But so I, I ended up getting a coach that taught me, you know, I'll say the proper way to get clients and enroll clients where you're helping and serving people. So I was part of um, a gentleman's name is Bradley Grinnan, tremendous job. And through his, through him and, and his weekly, we had weekly meetings and through just non-weekly interactions, you know, I learned how to post on Facebook and help people. I learned how to do Facebook lives. So I, it made me very comfortable with with all of that. So I would say that just that experience of my day, my regular job, and then the fact that when I was getting some help from another coach and learning how to post and how to do Facebook lives and not be afraid to do it, that you begin, because initially I was terrified to post on Facebook and share my thoughts. And I was terrified to go live and, and do something. Well, now I'm not because I've, I've gone live hundreds and hundreds of times and I've done I think I've done about 65 or 70 podcasts and I've done a lot of guest speaking. So you just have to do it and you become more and more comfortable. So I wasn't comfortable initially. Now I am. <laughs> yeah. And, and just to break what you just said down, I mean, you know, it's really interesting. Everybody just heard Rich talk about that. So he had some confidence already because he was used to interacting with people and some folks may just need to start there, but because Rich kind of knew how to do that, notice he then stretched himself. He made a commitment to do this. And then he did it, even though it felt slightly uncomfortable for a while. So basically what you had to do is you have to be courageous at that point. Right. Uh, and then lo and behold, he gets the new skill and now he's even more confident now to go and do this next thing. Like, you know, you've talked about, uh, you, you have the centering prayer workshop. And again, that may have already passed, but you can go back and listen to our other episode by the time this, this comes out. But it's just interesting how life goes. You start with some confidence in what you've already done, commit to something bigger, be courageous, take action, then you get new capabilities and confidence. And I, you know, I just heard you saying that almost perfectly. And it seems like that's the growth spiral that we can be on as, um, as, um, as, as authors. Can you talk a little bit about, and maybe this isn't true, it's like you have an email list now, you have a website. So how did you go from, at some point you were at zero, you have a large social media following, like did you have a strategy? What, what did you find most helpful? Because I'm imagining we're listening to some folks, maybe even pastors that want to write a book, but obviously they have their church. I mean, so they have maybe 100 people or whatever, but if you're going to sell something, you got to reach out. So what, what were some 
what did you learn or advice you would give to somebody that's essentially starting at a zero platform to kind of build up or a very small platform trying to build up to the size where you could, you know, maybe sell a thousand books or 2000 books? Yeah, for my website to attract subscribers, a, a lead magnet. So it's the free. If when you subscribe, you get my free centering prayer ebook. So I, I, I and it it took me about a week to do. Even though it's 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 I don't know twelve pages. It's a PDF, and and the pages aren't you know as I said, there's single sentence statements, and then kind of a space and another sentence. So it's not it's you can read the book. So I guess a lead magnet where you know. When people come to my site, when they subscribe, they'll get a free Centering Prayer ebook. But then, so as soon as I had that lead ma magnet, I began marketing it. So I, I, I would put it on Twitter and, and, and say it in different ways. You know, visit me at Silence Teaches to learn more about Centering Prayer, or, or I'd say some type of quote and then link to my site and tell them to come to my site for the free ebook. So I guess the easiest way to grab or to get subscribers is to offer something free that's going to help and teach people something. So some type of lead magnet that helps people. So for me, obviously, Centering Prayers is what the, the site is all about. So it was a, a free ebook to teach people what is it and answer a lot of answer like 10 key questions on Centering Prayer. Yeah, so the key thing is it's service. And that's, I think that's the key thing with marketing. If you have something that's profoundly beneficial and actually enhances a person's life and you're not, you know, you're not stealing, you know, you're not giving them a scammy thing. We've all bought stuff that was just pure junk. But if you actually have something of value, you know, you just, that's, that's what marketing really is. And like, you're even giving real value. So your 12 page PDF may not be the final answer, but it's, it's, if somebody wants to get started, you're giving them a, a real value and all you're asking in exchange is an email address. Right. And, uh, and that's, as simple as that. And obviously, if anybody that is on, online, you get people have these elaborate machines that just pump out gazillions of emails, but that's not what you're doing. You're just giving value and then you keep people updated on what um, on what you're doing. I was also going to mention, before I forget on the podcasting, if anybody's interested, Rich has been one of the top podcast guests. And I know that you introduced me to this also. Um, it's funny, I heard it from two people almost the same week. You were one of them and then another person, but it's podmatch.com. And that helped me tremendously in the marketing my own book and getting the word out and even getting experience being on podcasts. And I know that you've done that really well. So just folks, if you want to, if you're, if you're an author, you're trying to get a bigger platform, podmatch.com, it works great. And they're continuing, they've enhanced it massively just over this last year. They're always making upgrades and it's a very effective way to connect your expertise or what you're passionate about with shows that actually share those in different ways. And, uh, and you still are use, uh, using Podmatch, right, Rich? And uh, you're on podcasts continuously. Yeah, I'm on, I, 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 every day I go into Podmatch and, and we'll message one or two or three people um, to try to get on future podcasts. So it's a great site for hosts to be on, to get guests and for guests to go on and find a, a, a pot, you know, a podcast to be on. And in many cases, hosts are guests. So they're doing, they're getting guests and they're also becoming guests as well. It's a, it's a tremendous site and all the people I've been uh, interacted with and been on their podcasts have been, have been fantastic. So it's, it's well done. It's, it's a super site and it's, well, it's been a goldmine for me. And I, and I forget the name of the gentleman that pointed me to it in early May of this year, but they have a dashboard. So I, when I, when I look at the dashboard, I looked at it this morning, you know, it said I had 53 completed interviews since May. And, and it's actually more than that because some people don't, 
use all of the process so they don't like say you're it's done and recorded so it's that it's that depth where it says you've now you've recorded it and it's it's marked as completed and some people don't push it through the entire process so i've probably done at least 60 or so since may of this year so i probably do anywhere from one to three a week <laughs> yes. oh, it's fun though it's it is good it and, is. It's, and it's uh and it's and like i i you know and it's it's one of those reminders that back you know we had that conversation about abundance and scarcity there's just incredibly generous interesting kind people and i've met some remarkable people oh, yeah. from podmatch and it's uh, it's been a true blessing and it's been and it's and it's fun let me ask you a final question i mean i think this has been super helpful and this is going to help anybody that's interested in publishing because it's been a real realistic behind the curtain type of a thing so you know, on the previous podcast, had John, you're talking about thinking about writing another book starting. Let me see what was it June of 2022. You had like a date or something, right? Where so I like, want to start writing. Yeah, when you discipline well, yeah, myself. Yeah. No, no, and you're going to give it a shot. Do you already know the topic? I mean, do you have a sense of where where you're where you're heading with that yet, um, or is it? Are you literally just going to sit down and figure out what book you want to write? Like, what book do you think you have in you right now? You know, it's funny. You know, you say that. I, have, I have two thoughts, but and, and it's funny. I have yeah. You know, I have one thought of that. I want to go more into your true self and who that is and how yeah. you can become that person. I mean, I obviously my first book, Sitting with God, A Journey to Your True Self Through Centering Prayer. But as you look at the different chapters, it's not all on your true self. So a book may be more honing in on that, because I think when you live from your true self, it's really true freedom. And, and it's, it's a wonderful thing to be living from your true self. So that's one thing I, I could definitely write in a book. But then it was funny on Thanksgiving, my wife's mother was talking with me and she's like, what's your next book going to be? And I said that and she goes, why do you want to do another centering prayer book? You might want to do just something a little bit different and show them another side of you. So it made me think, so I don't know what that other side of me would be. Like it would probably be in the contemplative space and in yeah, a similar space, yeah. but maybe a different slant on it. So maybe it would be something where I would surprise people by, oh, I didn't expect that from Rich. This looks like it might be interesting. I want to read it. So I'm not sure actually. So it's maybe true self and a deeper dive into your true self and how you can connect to it, or maybe something slightly different, but still in the contemplative space that would be, you know, important for our times for people to read no it's funny because it is it is always interesting when you try to think about what the what to what to write about um like uh you know i know i i, I know what my i think i know what my next book is i have the metaphor i'm not really quite ready to say it on here because i've just it's i thought it was going to be about lazarus but now i've uh, i have this tree that i i'll have to office and post about the tree people will see this but i think i have the metaphor for um essentially um how do you come back to life after you've died and what i mean the death can be in all kinds of it's not literal obviously it's it's the different metaphors and how do you deal with again fear guilt shame but the question i like to ask myself and it's uh, again i'm not even gonna you don't have to answer this right now but i like i think the interesting book I mean, because it's the, it's the challenge, right? It's be easy to do another centering prayer book, just like if you're like a musician, you have a hit. Oh, let the, give us another one of those, and you just keep doing the same thing, which can be fun until it, at some point you're like, well, I need to do, I need to totally switch it up. Like I always like U two. They've all, all their music. They, they kind of grew as a band, though they're still U two. Or um, so it's, I think one of the questions that's fun to ask as an author is, what's the book I'm afraid to write, and then why would I be afraid to write it? So like. And this may encourage somebody listening and may even encourage you. Like when I wrote the Centering Prayer book, I was actually afraid to write it 
in the, only in this sense, I wasn't afraid to write it. I was afraid to send it out because I put so much of myself in the book and I had originally just started, I was just basically trying to figure out what had happened to me. And, and then and even up to the day, I'm like, I don't know if people are going to like this. I don't know if I'm going to lose folks because I'm going to be revealing about something in my, of my own struggles in the book. Um, but um, so I think that's an interesting question. What's the book you're afraid to write? Um, and then, you know, play around with why you might be afraid. And then maybe, th maybe there's there, and maybe if nothing, that's a great way to talk about it in your head. And it may give you an idea. And that's, that may not be for you, Rich. I was just talking out loud and for other folks, but I think that's a fun thing. But well, any, any closing words on writing? We'll kind of wrap this up here again. We'll put your show notes on your book, Sitting with God. I know your website, silenceteaches.com, silence put, put, put folks there. Um, any, any final words that you'd want to share today? Something that we maybe we didn't cover? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I think everybody has a book in them. It's just yeah. a matter of disciplining yourself to do it. So I, I would encourage people to write a book, and, and it, but it is a discipline like centering prayer you know, is, is a daily discipline or practice. I would encourage people to write a book, whether it's small, medium, or, or, or long, but discipline yourself to write a book and, and share with the world what, if, when you don't do that, people don't get an opportunity to, to learn something from you or learn something they may never have learned before. So I would encourage people to try to discipline yourself to write a book if it's you know 10 pages or 50 pages or 100 or 300 just do it discipline yourself and whether you take the the, the publishing route or whether you self-publish it just do it because i think you'll be thrilled you did it that's oh, so good that's really yeah, that is re that's really good and uh yeah so i love that again thank you so much for uh, being my guest today it's been a real joy and a privilege to have you back on rich Great. Thanks for having me on on this uh, writing topic. It was neat to hear uh, your kind of experiences and how you go about the process. Well, thank you. And everyone, thanks for listening all the way to the end of the, to this episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. Until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope in the world. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. All resources that were mentioned are in the show notes. Again, let me remind you that of my book, Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life. It's available now on Amazon. And also, if you're interested in attending the virtual Centering Prayer event that Rich, Lewis, and myself are going to co-host, it will be on Saturday, March 12th at noon Eastern. Email me at deepdivespirituality at gmail.com and I will add you to the list and get the Zoom link out to you. Thank you so much and I will see you next time.